Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. Adults who are standing behind, you may find, um, well, you know, it's going to be, we're covering like three chapters today, so if you want to follow along, Judges, we're starting in Judges chapter 13, and we're going through Judges chapter 16, but I'm not going to read all three chapters to you, or all four chapters to you, because we'd be here all day if I tried to preach after that, so... Um, I'm going to summarize chapters 13 through 16 for you. So if you get your finger there, you'll be able to follow along. I'll point out some specific verses along the way as we go. Um, But before we dive into the story, let's just recap. I've only been gone a week. I haven't even missed a Sunday, and I feel like I've been gone a month. Have any of you had experiences like that? So that's where I am this morning. My brain is reeling, and I feel like I haven't been with you for a while, and I haven't missed a Sunday. So for my own sake, I just needed to recap where we are. We are in a series called School, right? A fresh look at classic stories. So they are the Sunday school stories that uh, if you grew up in church, these were the ones that you were taught and they're in your children's Bible and they're, you know, very common Sunday school stories. If you did not grow up in church, you probably have a vague understanding of some of these stories because they have taken on a cultural idea of their own. So you see these themes and these stories and these names in a lot of different places. Uh, we've tackled so far the Tower of Babel. We have tackled Ezekiel and the dry bones. We have tackled uh, the walls at Jericho. And we have tackled, uh, this is the cheese, which represents David and Goliath, right? Let's get a cheese obedience. Um, today, we are going to tell the story of Hare, um, Samson, and all of his long, flowing, beautiful hair. Um, And we're not just going to tell the Delilah part, because so often when we tell the story of Samson, we only tell the story about Samson and Delilah. There is so much stuff in the life of Samson, and as I sat down to figure out where in the life of Samson I wanted to talk about, the Lord said, the whole life of Samson. I said, but Lord, that's many chapters, and you know how long I preach. And he said, yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, and he said, he said, I know, so summarize the story for them and then tell them about me. And I'm like, I can do that. So um, I'm excited to tell you the story today. I learned, oh, so much about Jesus by reading the story of Samson. And I hope that you guys do too today. So um, if you follow along, hopefully you will be able to do well enough. Um, Whoops, by the way. Wow, that good? was that me? Yep. Oh, okay then. I'm evidently technology in that there's Samson, the hare, a story about strength, right? Um, in, in my heart of hearts, when I close my eyes, I picture myself like really strong like Samson. Um, but uh, in reality, I don't have the hare or the strength. So, uh, I kind of like this story for so many reasons. All right, so as you follow along in, in uh, Judges chapter 13, um, it's going to tell the story of uh, a little bit about Israel. Israel, God bless them, could not keep their nose out of sand. For the best that they tried, day in and day out, cycle after cycle for their lives, generation after generation, they sinned again and again and again, and God would do something, and they'd follow God, and then they'd sin again. The story of the judges period is no different. So there were a lot of judges who got appointed to 
judge the nation of Israel. Basically to say, you city sinners. And sometimes during that time, God would put other nations over the nation of Israel. And they were being judged by those other nations as well, by being oppressed and persecuted by them. Because sin, let's face it, doesn't please God, right? Whether it's their sin or our sin, sin doesn't please God. And so at this point in time, he placed the nation, uh, the Philistine nation, over the people of Israel. So the people of Israel were being oppressed by the Philistines. And at this time, during the oppression by the Philistines, there was a couple, and they were barren. They couldn't have children. They did not have children, and they were sad about that. But an angel appeared to this couple, and uh, first to the wife, and then the wife told the husband, and the husband was like, I don't know about this. i got to pray. And so he prayed, and then the angel appeared again and appeared to both of them. And he said, listen, beautiful couple, you are going to have a baby boy. This is going to be amazing for you. This boy is going to be a special boy. He is going to be set apart from this very moment that I've made the announcement to you. Even before this boy is conceived, he is going to be set apart and holy unto the Lord. So much so that he, this angel spoke to the mother and he said, from the moment of conception, which is now, by the way, this boy is set apart for the Lord. Therefore, you, mother, need to stay away from strong drink, corn from the vine. Uh, you cannot you keep all of the laws, basically, because this boy is going to grow up. His hair is never going to be cut. He is never going to drink liquor. He is never going to touch unclean foods. He is never going to be near dead things. He is going to be holy to the Lord. Now, when the angel said all these things to this couple, the couple understood something we don't, because we hear those things and we think that's a lot of rules, and well, you know, that doesn't mean anything other than keep the rules. To them, they recognized what the angel was saying as the law of the Nazarite. So when they heard the angel pronounce, your boy's going to be holy from now until the day he dies, and he's going to keep these vows, and you, mother, are going to keep them for him. While he is developing in the womb, they heard translated, this boy, our boy, the boy we didn't think we were going to have, is going to be a Nazarite. Now, y'all are like, a Nazarite what now? Um, is that what we are? We attend a Nazarene church, so are we Nazarites? No, there's differences. Okay, so let me explain to you what a Nazarite is, okay? Um, the Nazarite vow means no drinking, no dead things, and no shaving your hair, period, okay? That's the three vows that a Nazarite would take. Typically, a person would become a Nazarite by personal vow, and the vow would last anywhere between 30 and 120 days. So very atypical for someone to be a Nazarite from conception through their death. It was a short time, short-lived, personal vow you made of your own free will to go and pledge, I will be a Nazarite. I am going to set myself apart for a definitive period of time to keep the holiness laws intact perfectly for this period of time, I'm going to make myself, my life, and everything a pleasing sacrifice to God. Now, the Nazarite vows included no drinking, no touching dead things, no cutting your hair. Samson is one of three people in Scripture that are Nazarites not by personal vow, but by proclamation of an angel. The other two, Samuel and John the Baptist. Okay? So, John the Baptist, we know, the angel appeared and said, hey, your boy's going to be holy and set apart to God to proclaim the way of the Lord and the coming of Messiah. Samuel, in the Old Testament, remember the woman, she couldn't have a child, and she cried, and she weeped, and she went to the temple, and the priest said, hey, you're drunk, go home. And she said, I'm not drunk, I'm weeping, 
and I want a child so bad. And if the Lord will just hear my prayer, I will give him back to the Lord. She was making the Nazarite vow for her boy. And when he was born and weaned, she sent him to live, holy and devoted to the Lord. And Samuel became a great influence on the world from that point forward. Now, Nazarenes, uh, Nazarites who took the vow upon themselves, uh, when they did, were well known because of it. They stopped cutting their hair. They didn't shave their face. They looked kind of... Well, like, no shave November, you know? Um, scraggly and rough and um, unkempt at best. And you think, how does that show the holiness of God? They stopped caring about their outward personal appearances, and they started caring about the inside appearance, right? So they experienced devotion and piety and self-denial for the sake of holiness, and they didn't go around flouting that. But if you saw someone who was very unkempt, and was keeping away from all of the parties and all of the um, dead people. And if their father passed away, they didn't go to the funeral. It was because they were a Nazarite set apart to God for God's purposes for that period of time. And they were considered honored uh, because of that. Now, the Nazarite vow would end at a specific time, 30 to 120 days, whatever the, the vow was. They would go to the temple at the end of their time. And they would bring free offerings with them to the temple. To uh, It was the policy by which you end your Nazarite vow. You take these three offerings in and offer the offerings up. And then you would cut your hair and you would throw the hair on the fire underneath the offerings. Saying, I've completed my vow and I'm the holy to God. And that's just how God wrote it in the law. You can read about it in Numbers if you want it. Um, and, uh, and that's how the vow is ended. Let's go back to Samson now that we know he's a Nazarite and what his life is in store. In awe of this great moment when the angel appeared to this couple, uh, the couple said, um, can we at least, I mean, you've journeyed a long way from heaven to here to tell us this great message. Can we cook a meal for you at least? I mean, before you go home, pack you a lunch on the way. Um, and, uh, and he said, listen, no, you, you can't. But if you really feel impressed about doing something, why don't you worship God with a burnt offering? Why don't you take a burnt offering and worship God, and that will be pleasing to him. So they did, and then soon a son was born to them, and they named his son Samson. Now, verse 13, 24 tells us that Samson grew up, and God's Holy Spirit was with him. The Lord blessed him, and the Holy Spirit worked in him. That's pretty significant, right? Because if he's a Nazarite set apart for the holiness of God, you really want him to be blessed by the Lord and the Holy Spirit to be with him. So we know that God's working his promise out. Fast forward a little bit in time. Samson has grown up. He's doing business in town. He sees a girl, a Philistine girl nonetheless, and he goes, that's the girl. I am so in love with that Philistine pagan girl. I gotta marry her. I, there's no way around it. Love at first sight. She's gonna be my wife. And so she goes back, he goes back to his parents, and he says, there's this girl, and I'm in love with her, and she's a Philistine, and I want to marry her. And his parents were like, you understand that God's people don't marry Philistines, and you are a holy Nazarite set apart to God for holiness for your entire life, and you don't marry Philistines. And he says, I'm going to marry her. We are going to make the arrangements. And so he put his foot down. Then I always thought when I read this in the past that Samson was like this. You know, like, spoiled brat of a boy, you know? And he's like, get me this girl, I'm going to marry her. And it's kind of how it reads in scripture a little bit. Um, she insisted that he was, the, she was the one. What this whole uh, family didn't realize was that God was orchestrating something 
through this marriage to a Philistine girl. So, while Samson traveled to town to speak with her and her family and arrange this marriage, because he was dead set on it, it happened immediately, um, he ran across a lion, or perhaps this lion ran across him, and uh, it was prowling after him, and it says in the Bible that the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he grabbed the lion and ripped it open with his bare hands. Any of you ever ripped a lion open with your bare hands? <laughs> Any of you ever want to after reading this story? That's, no, I'm the only one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay then, thank you. Uh, um, it just this, this story of the incredible power of the Holy Spirit, and you take a lion, and I love this image because you see these swoopy lines of evidently the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's the power of the Holy Spirit rushing upon him. And this lion leaping at him and then grabbing by the jaws and just ripping him in half, completely in half. That's the, that's just so cool to me, okay? So, um, so it's pretty impressive. Now, he travels to town, he talks to the, to the woman and her family, and a few days later, and he's traveling the same road again, he passes the carcass of that lion, and he notices that bees, this is so gross, bees took up residence in the carcass and made some honey. Now, he thought it was a great idea to be like, oh, honey, I like honey, I'll eat out of a dead, rotten lion. And so he reaches in and he takes some honey, and he eats the honey, and he thinks, my parents are going to love this honey. And so he puts some honey in a bag, or I don't know what, <coughs> I have no idea. And he takes the honey home to his parents, and he's like, here, eat this honey, it's so good. And he did not tell them that it came from the carcass of a rotting lion that he'd ripped in half a few days earlier. Now, let's stop here for just a moment. Because what is one of the vows of a Nazarite? Don't touch dead things, right? So not only did he kill something, but he went back and he touched a dead thing. This was a Nazarite no-no. You do not touch dead things. He broke the first Nazarite vow, okay? Do not touch dead things. He didn't tell his parents, because obviously his parents would have been like, Oh, you're Nazarite vows, okay? And so he didn't tell his parents. He just ate the honey and fed them the honey. And, ugh. Um, okay. <laughs> Soon after that, shortly after that, it was time for the wedding. Samson was like, he had to marry this girl. He was so in love with her. And so um, in that culture, um, much like our culture, sometimes there are bachelor parties, right? Um, they had a party similar to that. It was a wedding feast. The word feast that they use in this context uh, denotes a, a drunken feast of epic proportions, a seven-day-long drunkery, okay? And uh, I don't have a better word for it. It's kind of what Scripture says in the original language. It, a lot of drinking um, for the men of the wedding feast. Now, um, Samson goes to this party, and he participates in this party to the fullest, and he breaks his second Nazarite vow. A Nazarite, no, no, you do not drink. You are holy unto the Lord. And so, he's broken two of his vows, and now he's at this seven-day wedding feast, the Philistines, who were kind of like, why is this holy Nazarite God-man from Israel uh, our enemy? Why is he wanting to marry one of our girls? Like, this is, this is weird. Or what are they planning? So the Philistines say, we're going to send 30 friends of the family to the party to see if we can kind of figure out what's going on. And, um, and uh, they, they planted 30 friends at the wedding. Now, Samson, knowing that this was what was going on, he put a riddle to them to trick those 30 people and embarrass them. To, they kind of like, you can't do this at my own wedding. Like, you know, one-upsmanship, okay? Let's thump chests a little bit. So the riddle came with a rich prize of fine clothing for each of the 30 men if they could solve the riddle. This was a very rich prize, fine linen clothing. 
And they had the duration of the seven-day party to figure out the answer, or they owed him fine clothing. Now, the riddle, what is sweeter than honey? Or, I'm sorry, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. Right? That's uh, verse 14, chapter 14. That's the riddle he posed to them. Because gross, right? He killed a lion, and then honey came out of it. And that's the, that's, the, that's the summation of the riddle from his own life experiences. Now, they had seven days to figure this out, or they owed him 30 changes of fine linen clothing. That would have been very expensive. And so they said, we, we don't understand the riddle, and so we need to figure out what to do here. So they approached Samson's new wife, his beloved sweet wife, right? They approached her, one of their own people, and they said, tell us the answer. Get it from Samson, or we will burn you and your father's house to the ground. Get us the answer. We will not be made fun of in this context. And so, um, for fear for life, she turned on the waterworks. Scripture says, Samson, tell me the answer. Okay, just like that. She pleaded, she begged, and then she did things like this. You hate me. If you loved me, you would tell me the answer to the riddle. You never loved me, Samson. So, all of this. Okay. So, uh, until he told her the answer. She pestered him until he gave it. She found out the answer and immediately ran to the 30 men and told them. So, on the seventh day, they gathered together and Samson's like, hey, you know the answer to my riddle? And uh, they, yeah, yeah, we do. What's sweeter than money? What's stronger than lion? And Samson was furious. He called them out on their manipulation of his wife, and he did it in a very crude way. Um, I don't, I don't want to um, uh, not quote this directly from Scripture. This is Scripture. He said to them, "If you've not plowed with my heifer, you would have not found out my riddle." Wow. Yeah, I don't have to translate that one for you. Okay? Uh, so. There we go. Um, so, so he basically said in a very crude way, you manipulated my wife, and that's not fair play, guys. So for the second time in this story, in his story, the Spirit of God rushes upon Samson. Because remember, God was orchestrating something. The Spirit of God rushes upon Samson, and he runs out of the building, down to a nearby town of Philistines, kills 30 men, takes their blood-stained clothing back to the 30 men at the party and says, here's your prize. Right? Yeah. yeah this, is, this is such a great story. I lo I'm, I'm loving the story of Samuel. <laughs> then, then he stormed off in anger to his dad's house, leaving his new wife of seven days behind. And uh, that was, I mean, can you imagine it's your wedding feast and then your husband kills 30 people? and gives bloodstained clothing to your guest party attendants, and then leaves you, and you're like, what happened? And so her dad said, well, she needs to be married. I'm not keeping her back in my house. So um, he gives her away to Samson's best man. Samson's now living at his dad's house, and his wife has been given away. Now, a few months later, Samson's lonely and thinking about the wife that he loves and that he left behind on his wedding day. He thinks, I need to go make events here. Um, so he um, follows some protocol that we won't get into, but he brought a goat to her to gain entrance to her, as it were, saying, I'm sorry I abandoned you on our wedding day and killed 30 people. Um, and, uh, and he found out that she was no longer his wife, and he was 
furious. Okay? So furious. So going out of town, he found 300 jackals. I don't know how long it took to find 300 jackals, but they run in packs. He found 300 jackals. He tied them tail to tail in pairs and put a torch between the tails and set the torches on fire and released 300 jackals into the ripe wheat harvest of the Philistines. Okay? So here's the result of that. According to scripture, it burned their ripe wheat fields. It burned the threshed wheat on the threshing floor. It burned the harvested wheat they'd not yet threshed. And it burned all of the olive vineyards. It laid to waste the entire Philistine community's food source for the year. Okay? Yeah. Um, everything was gone from the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are furious about this, right? See, this is revenge war, right? This is stuff you see scripted on primetime television. This is great movie plot stuff. So, the Philistines are furious about this. They found out, though, that Samson had acted in revenge because his wife had been given away. So they went to the father of his ex-wife, and they burned him, his house, and her to the ground. She was trying to avoid that in the first place by finding out the answer to the riddle, right? I feel so bad for her. Like, I read this story, and maybe she's inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. I feel really bad for this woman. Um, and it's neither here nor there, but she ended up being burned to the ground um, with, uh, with her father and his house because he had made Samson angry enough to demolish all the food source for the <coughs> Now, hearing of her death, Samson vowed to up the revenge game. Like 30 jackals on fire isn't enough, right? So he literally went to town and tore the men limb from limb. This is, I can't, I'm not making this up. This is, follow along with me. He tore them limb from limb and then retreated to a cave to hang out. Now the Philistines, they came up to Israel. And they said, listen, we will seek revenge upon you as a nation unless you give us Samson, because this has to end. We're hungry. We are ripped limb from limb. We are missing people. We, they, at some point, this far and no further, give us Samson and we won't take it out on you as a nation. And so the people of Israel, ready to end the saga, went to Samson in the cave and they said, we're turning in, man. I mean, good riddance. We're done with you. You have made life difficult for us. It's bad enough that we are ruled by the Philistines, but you have to poke them and prod them and make them angry at us. We, we can't have that anymore. We need to just live. And so we're giving you over to the Philistines. You made it worse for us. So they tied him up with new ropes, and they took him to the Philistines, who shouted for joy. Because here is Samson, this man who ripped people limb from limb, who ripped a lion apart, who destroyed all kinds of fields. He is bound with shackles and new ropes. And they shouted with joy because they were going to take him in, right? For the third and final time in his story, the Spirit of God rushes upon Samson. The ropes and shackles that were on him snapped like dry grass around him. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Fresh meaning not like the Ezekiel dry bones, which could snap easily, but fresh like the rotting carcass of a donkey. Nazarite, no, no, don't touch it. Okay? The Spirit of God rushed upon him. He found the jawbone of the donkey. And he slaughtered an entire company of Philistine troops with a jawbone. Then, 
when he was done with his bloodbath, he was thirsty. Like, really <laughs> thirsty. And he cried out to God, God, are you going to let me die of thirst? I just slaughtered a bunch of Philistines. And so God opened up a spring and quenched his thirst, and his spirit was revived. Now, sometime later, he went to Gaza, and he found a prostitute. And word got around that he was there with this prostitute in her home, and that he had fallen asleep, and they thought, this is our chance. We are going to get in there, and we are going to attempt to kill him. And that's all they could do, was attempt to kill him, because they failed to kill Samson. And as um, an insult to them, Samson took the city gate, which was two stories tall, and embedded by deep pillars deep into the ground of the stone fortress city. He ripped out the city gate with his bare hands and carried it up the hill and tossed it on the top of the hill and be like, what are you going to do? Drop the microphone, walk away. Like, um, he ripped out the city gate and uh, left. And they did, you can't do anything about that. You just let him go at that point and rebuild your city gate in shame. Sometime after that, he met a woman named Delilah, another Philistine. He fell in love with her. Okay? He moved in with her. He didn't get married to her. He moved in with her. He shacked up with this Philistine Delilah. And her people came to her and bribed her with a huge sum of wealth to seduce him and find out the secret of his strength so they could finally subdue this man who has literally wreaked havoc across the entire nation. Like, they were so dumb with this man named Samson. And so three times she asked him, Honey, sweetie baby, what's the source of your strength? <laughs> Sweet munchkin, honey bear, will you tell me? <laughs> Cutie pie Samson with the no. long locks. What is your secret? Three times she asked him, and three times he told a lie. Three times they tried to capture him. Three times they failed. Now, angry about this, Delilah, you know, she's getting some pressure from her people. She wants the wealth. And she's been, she's been made a fool in this process. So she went to him and did what his first wife did and said, you don't love me. If you loved me, you would have told me the truth, Samson. You don't love me. You say you love me, but your actions don't show me that you love me. You love me. You tell me the truth. And she pestered him. And she pestered him until he told her the truth. He said this, quote, A razor has never touched my head. I've been set apart. I've been a holy Nazarite to God my whole life, and if my head is shaved, my strength would leave. So she ran off. She told the Philistines, and while he was sleeping, they snuck in and they cut his hair. And this time when they came to attack him and she sounded the alarm, Samson, the Philistines, they're here to get you. He couldn't do anything about it. His strength was gone. Verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 20, tells us that when he broke the final vow and his head was cut, his hair was cut, the last Nazarite no-no, God abandoned him. And so they captured him. They beat him. They mocked him. They gouged his eyes out. Then they made him a slave, grinding the grain with a heavy millstone. And over time, his hair began to grow back. I love that scripture put that in there. It's not really significant in the fact that we know his strength is not from his hair, it's from God. But I think there's something significant about the grace of God being demonstrated there. So his hair began to grow back. Now one day, the Philistines held a huge party to their false god, Dagon. This is a false god. They're like, woohoo, uh, we love this false god. And so they brought Samson out as the entertainment for the party to this false god. And they put him in this um, large room 
in the center of two pillars, and he was going to be the one they were going to mock uh, in the name of their false god. So they brought him out to publicly mock him and to praise Dagon for delivering Samson over to them. Now the party was in this central building in their community. It was built with two massive um, stone pillars that were in the center of the room. And the way the construction was, was these two stone pillars supported the entire weight of the roof. And so they put Samson between these two stone pillars, and around him were 3,000 Philistines celebrating in this act of worship. Now Samson was positioned between two pillars, right? And he put his, uh, his hand on one end and his other hand on the other pillar so that he could support himself. His guide, a young boy, placed his hands there, Scripture tells us. And as he stood there being mocked by these people, being made fun of about this Samson who no longer can do anything and we've captured him, he stood there and he cried out to God and he asked God for the strength to avenge his sight on the Philistines. He says, let me die now, but so help me, they made me blind and I want the strength to take them out. And so... He pushed the pillars with his hands. And the roof caved in. And in that day, he killed more Philistines than he had in his whole life combined. And his family came and retrieved his body and buried it with his father. That's the story of Samson. That's a good story, right? Like, that's just charmful of awesome. It gets better. Now, if you look at Samson's life as a whole, he's not a super great role model, right? Any of you want your children to grow up to be like Samson? Right? Um, he broke all three of the Nazarite vows, the Nazarite no-nos. Don't drink, don't touch dead things, <coughs> don't shave your head. Only three of the ten feats of strength in his life were because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Seven of the ten things that he did in his life were for selfish gain. Even his death was poured out in selfish revenge on the Philistines. But here's the thing about Nazarite vows. You remember how at the conclusion of the period of the Nazarite vows, you'd go to the temple with your sacrifices? There were um, three sacrifices you needed to make. The burnt offering, the sin offering, and the peace offering. This is in the law. You can read it in Numbers, okay? The first one was a burnt offering. The burnt offering's purpose in Israelite worship was to worship God, to draw his attention towards you. You're praising his name, and you're offering him the greatest of what you have, to garner his attention so that he looks upon you. So that when you offer your sin offering as the atonement for your sins, he sees and receives that as part of your worship. The last offering is the peace offering. It's the one that you offer when you know that God has received the sacrifice for your sins, and you and God are at peace together. <coughs> so the Nazarite, in order to end their vow, needed to go to the temple and offer a burnt offering to worship God, a sin offering for their sin, and a peace offering. See, no matter, no matter how secluded the Nazarite lived, and Nazarites would literally remove themselves and live in the temple so that they would not be stained by the sin of the world. No matter how secluded a life the Nazarite lived, no matter how well they kept the law, no matter how short a period their vow was for, no matter how holy they looked on the outside and appeared, God built into the system of being set apart and holy for him the Nazarite vow a sin offering, because sin was always going to be present. Even the best-kept Nazarite still required a sin offering at the conclusion of his vows. 
So I gotta ask the question, because God asked it to me, what's our hope? Right? Like, if Nazarites were set apart to be holy for God, and they needed a sin offering, and we are not living like Nazarites, if we're honest with ourselves, where's our hope? What hope do we have for our own life when Samson, an angel, announced him to be holy and set apart for God his entire life? He couldn't even manage it. Where's our hope when the best Nazarites, fulfilling the strictest holiness codes, abstaining from any and all intentional and circumstantial sins for such a short period of time, still required a sin offering for the sin in their life? Do you know it was a sin to be a Nazarite? To walk down the streets of the city. Not to walk down. But if someone had a heart attack and died near you, you were tainted in your Nazarite vow because of that. Like, this is really hard, you know, stuff. That's why they secluded themselves, so that people didn't accidentally die next to them. <coughs> God was trying to say this. You can't have hope here. You can't have hope, no matter how good you act, even if you never intentionally sin, even if you never choose to sin in that Nazarite vow time, your heart is still sinfully bent because of original sin. That needs atonement. That needs a sin offering. So where is our hope? Our hope is simply, formatted here, our hope is that Jesus is better than Samson. Jesus is better than Samson. And let me run this down for you. You'll never look at Samson's story the same again. I haven't. Samson's birth was announced by an angel. Jesus' birth was announced by an angel. Samson's mission was set before conception. You are to be holy to God your whole life. Jesus' mission was set before conception. You are to make people holy unto God. Samson grew up blessed by God. And the Spirit stirred in him to travel. Jesus grew up in wisdom and stature and favor of the people. And the Spirit led him into the wilderness to begin his ministry. Samson was bound by his own people and handed over to the Philistines. Jesus was betrayed by his own people and handed over to the Romans. Samson was entangled with three women during the course of his life. Jesus was completely devoted to his one and only, his bride, the church, to purify her and make her holy. Samson was tempted three times by Delilah in Gaza, and he gave in weekly. Samson, he gave in weekly. Jesus was tempted three times by Satan in the wilderness, but stayed strong in the spirit. Samson was betrayed for a sum of cash by Delilah, who was very close to him. Jesus was betrayed for a sum of cash by Judas, who was very close to him. Samson was beaten and mocked and blinded and displayed as a trophy to a false god. Jesus was beaten and mocked and crucified on display as a warning to anyone who would follow the one true God. Samson was abandoned by God when his hair was shaved. Jesus was abandoned by God when on him our sins were laid. Samson died with a sinful, selfish prayer on his lips, for my revenge. Jesus died with a holy, selfless prayer on his lips, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Samson's death temporarily dented the Philistine nation, the enemy of Israel. And Jesus' death permanently defeated Satan, 
the enemy of our souls. Jesus is better than, stronger than, holier than, more perfect than, more righteous than, more loving than, more selfless than Samson the Nazarite. Even the Nazarites needed an offering to be made holy and clean under the law, but Jesus wasn't a Nazarite. He was better than a Nazarite. He didn't need the law to make him holy. He is, in himself, the very definition, the very picture of holiness. If you are a Christian, if you claim to follow Christ, you state by your claim that your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, your whole strength is devoted unto God for his worship and his will in holiness. It is a life not devoted to the law, but devoted to the love that fulfilled it for you. You follow Jesus from Nazareth, i.e. Jesus the Nazarene. You are holy unto him, by him, and for him, and through him. So here's the summary message. Stop trying to live under your own imperfect holiness code. Let Christ's holiness cleanse you. Stop trying to live life under your own strength, and instead let the power of God dwell in you. Stop trying to determine your steps and angle things for your own good. Let the Spirit of God lead your life. There is no other name that we worship, no other system that we find redemption, no other process in which we trust, no other means by which we are made holy, and no other name by which we are saved. His name is Jesus and he is better than Samson. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. He died to make you holy. So you need to give your heart to him in fullness. Trusting him today to save you from your sins. To purify you and make you blameless. And to set your path in a way that is holy. We need to pray this morning. That we understand that Jesus is better than Samson. Lord, thank you. And that you've given us a story in scripture that is fun to read in Sunday school, but so rich for our souls. Thank you for being a God that shows us the negative example, how we are not to live. And then in contrast, showing us Jesus, the very way by which we live. Thank you for providing something for us that is so holy and so perfect. It actually does wipe away our intentional sin and our original sin. We can be made holy and pure through you, Jesus. This morning, as we have heard the word, Father, I believe what your word says and that it does not return void. And so I know that you have done work in this room this morning. I don't know how, I don't know who, I don't know what. But I believe that you are doing a work in at least one person's life in this room. And I would be a bad pastor if I didn't ask the question. So, with eyes closed and respect and reverence. If God did a work in your heart in some way this morning, in that he saved you from your sins, calling you to live a holy life, to set aside your selfish ways, to give you guidance so that you know the steps that you need to take, to cleanse your heart of the things that are impure. Would you just stick your hand up so that I can see how God is working and continue to pray for you? Yeah. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Lord, thank you for the ways in which you are working among your people this morning. It says in Scripture that the Spirit of God rushed upon Samson 
And in those moments, he did great works for you. And we believe that the Holy Spirit, for those who trust in Christ, rushes upon us and fills our hearts and our minds so full that it pushes the other things out. And we are made new in an instant. In salvation, we find forgiveness of our sins. And in sanctification, we find a holy heart set apart for you for a lifetime of service. Father, work that in us today. In those hands that were raised, confirm that in their hearts. So that they know that it wasn't just an emotion, but it was a movement of the Holy Spirit. Continue to do the same for the rest of us who walk that faithful path towards you day in and day out. We worship you, Father, in spirit and in truth this morning. Because you are holy. You alone are worthy. It is only your name. Bring us to worship this morning, Father, and change our hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen.